let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study for today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for the privilege of studying like this. We ask you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We invite your presence to be with us and to help us to understand what it is that is being presented. And we pray, Lord, that it will be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled, Don't Let Your Eyes Deceive You. Don't Let Your Eyes Deceive You. Our passage for this study is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14 from the King James Version. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14. Today, what I'd like to discuss is the idea that miracles have a purpose in God's kingdom. There's a benefit to miracles, but we have to be careful that we don't take them outside of their role. Don't let your eyes deceive you. Years ago, I had a conversation with a few atheist friends of mine, folks that were either atheist or had been connected to a church and had and had moved away from it. So they didn't necessarily not believe in God, but they they weren't they didn't agree to organized religion, et cetera, and so on. So they backed away from organized religion, even if they maintained a personal relationship in in God on some level. But one of the things that the that one of the atheists, the avowed self-avowed atheists, had indicated he he was talking about the fact that he was searching for truth and he asked quite repeatedly why it was that god didn't just come out and and say you know show up to somebody and say look i'm the lord and just do something to prove it and his idea was why all of this whole thing about reading the scriptures and understanding it and praying for guidance and all these other steps that that seem to be roundabout steps and I thought about it for a while. You know, I, I enjoyed having those conversations because they made me think, right? I, they took me out of just having automatic religious responses to things, but they made me think. And I, I had to pray about answers to those kinds of things. But I asked the question, which I never got a satisfactory answer to, but I asked the question, if you were alone in your house, alone in your room, and an entity teleports into that room, and says, hey, I am, and names his or her name, for that matter. 
and then does some supernatural thing, right? Just has to be something you can't do, something that is awesome, but you can't do it. How would that prove who they were? And whenever I asked that question, I would get silence. How would that prove who they were? You want God to show up and tell you who he is and what it's about so that you'll believe. But how will you verify that he is who he says he is, whoever it is that shows up? And no one could answer that question. And that's the problem. A supernatural entity just has to be stronger than you. They just have to have more power than you. There are two teams. If you subscribe to the idea that there's humanity, right? There's the natural and then the supernatural, and that there's only one team on the supernatural, well, it's fine because whoever shows up and identifies themselves as being supernatural proves themselves to be supernatural. You can trust that person because there's only one side. But in an environment where there are two teams, merely showing up and manifesting supernatural power proves nothing about what team that person is on and what their objective is long-term. So that brings us down to the purpose of miracles within the church and within, and within the context of God's people and the believers. Miracles have been used by God to confirm the faith of believers. Confirm, strengthen, solidify but never to initiate, never to initiate, okay? Um, that's not to say that no one ever heard of the miracles and then decided this is a course that I want to, to pursue. You think, for instance, of Rahab, where she tells the spies, we heard what your God did for you in bringing you out of Egypt, Okay? We heard what he did for you in bringing her out of Egypt. But even in that story, based on the way she tells it, the emphasis is more on God's care and preservation of them. She doesn't say, we heard that, that the Lord did these 10 plagues and that Moses had the, the rod that, um, that turned into a serpent and Aaron had the rod that budded. She doesn't outline it strictly from the miracle standpoint. She is still emphasizing the purpose that God had in what he did, right? She's focused more on the who than on the what. It's not the 10 plagues that, that interest her. It's God's providence for his people and knowing and knowing that because of what he did, what he would do was evident. They, they knew for a fact that since a promise had been made through Moses about owning the land, they knew it would come to pass. So even in the Rahab story, where it would seem that the emphasis is on the miracles themselves, even there, we see that the emphasis is on the God who had the power to execute miracles. And they were actually acting, she was actually acting on the promises of God, what, what his actions before meant for the future. We have to be careful with miracles. At specific times in, the, in Earth's history, both teams have exercised miracles. In particular, in particular, 
we have the time of Moses. When Moses goes to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, he and Aaron are opposed by two magicians. Magicians who are able to execute a portion of what they can execute. Moses throws down the rod. Magician throws down the rod. Really, it was Aaron in this case. Magician throws down the rod, and Moses, Aaron's rod, becomes a serpent. So do the magicians. However, Aaron's serpent overpowered their serpent and then turned back into a rod. So they lost their rods. But that they were still able to do it. For the first three plagues that fell on Egypt, they were able to also create the plagues. Not able to undo it, so they just added to the problem, but they were also able to do it. In the time of Jesus, we see a lot of demon possession. We don't see a whole lot of people working miracles, but there is there are a couple of passages where it happens. We remember in Acts chapter 16, where um, Paul and Silas are dealing with the, the lady that's possessed with the spirit of divination. But here's, a, here's one in Acts chapter 9, uh, 8 rather, Acts 8, starting in verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Okay? So they believed him because of the magic tricks that he could do. And I shouldn't even say magic tricks because the connotation is wrong. He evidently had some power. Right? Because he was bewitching them with sorceries. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now, the signs were to confirm the brethren, right? The signs were to confirm the brethren. Let's get a verse that says says that very thing. Mark 16.20 says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Okay. Miracles are given to confirm believers. Miracles are not given for conversion. Right? Because you need to believe something to be converted. Believing in what you see is not enough because what you see doesn't indicate who you've seen it from. Okay? Now that gets us back to 2 Corinthians 11. Starting in verse 12. No, we'll start in 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. As we near the end of time, there will be a resurgence of miracles both inside and outside the church. There 
will be a manifestation of that power. God has as much power as he has ever had. That's the nature of infinity. He is infinitely powerful. He hasn't gotten any weaker with time. And he will use that power. But the saints of God need to rely on the word of God in order to believe the things of God. Because our our faith has to be bound in the promises of God, not the miracles of God. Okay? Not the miracles of God. We benefit from the miracles. We benefit from the healing. We benefit from other, from protection, right? From, from deliverance. We benefit from those things. Those things can, the miracles can be a... A result, what is the word I want to use here? The miracles can be a manifestation of the promises, right? When God promises deliverance to us and protection for us, the miracle can be the means by which that occurs on a given occasion. But the miracles themselves don't indicate their source. You have to determine whether a miracle is good or not, based on the character of the person doing the miracle. Not even the character of the miracle. Right? Because a miracle for healing and a miracle for death can be done by either party. Both of those miracles could be done by either team. And it would be the context of the miracle itself but more importantly, the character of the person doing it that would dictate whether that miracle was of God or not. Right? Just because someone is slain supernaturally doesn't mean it was a bad thing. Just because someone is healed supernaturally doesn't mean it was a good thing. And Paul is here indicating that Satan is transforming himself to an angel of light. He's trying to appear as, as an angel of light. And his ministers, his, his followers, his apostles are also going to attempt to present themselves as ministers of light. We shouldn't be surprised, right? No marvel. Because Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Peter says something very important. In 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We will read from verse 16 to the end. I've, I've mentioned this passage before. It's one of my favorite passages. It proves a lot of things. This passage has a lot of impact. But here's what it says from the King James. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration here. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, 
that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What Peter is saying here is, we were in the Mount of Transfiguration. We're not talking nonsense to you. We didn't scheme together and plot and give you a good story. We were present and we saw and we heard Christ glorified and his father acknowledge him. But in spite of all of that, it is more important that you study and understand and appreciate God's word. More important than our eyewitness testimony is God's eyewitness testimony, his word. Because at the end of the day, people can see all sorts of things. Peter knew that what he saw was legit. He knew that what he saw was of God. He was in the presence of Christ. He saw Christ transformed, glorified, transfigured before them. He heard the voice of God commend his son. But he said, that's why the word of God is even more vital. Because that's God's message to each and every one of us. And it's a message that can't be controverted. Based on the word of God, we can tell if anything else we see or hear is legit. If the character of what we see or hear is not right, if the character of the person espousing X, Y, or Z is not right, then we have an understanding, we have a basis on which to accept or reject. I'm not saying that the people that promote the word of God, that preach the word of God, have to be perfect. I'm not saying that. Right? You don't suddenly become sinless as soon as you start preaching. I'm not saying that. But if people are living in sin, if people are living in sin, right? a righteous man falls seven times, but a righteous man is not living in sin. And for the time period where he might be living in sin, he is fallen away and needs to be reclaimed. Okay, God's people have to be following God's commandments. Is it true that someone may be used by God to preach the gospel and they don't understand all of the truth of God? Absolutely. We have examples of that in the Bible with Apollos, who was a mighty preacher, but he preached only the baptism of John. That's all he knew. And when Aquila and Priscilla got him under their wing, they outlined to him the way of the Lord more perfect, more, more perfectly. Right? They helped him to grow so that he became a more powerful preacher. So, sure, God can use a preacher that has a limited understanding of the word of God and doesn't understand all of the truths that you may know. I'm not saying that he'll never use a person like that, but that person needs to be living up to all of the light that they understand, all of the light that they know. Because God's goal is always to take us to greater light. So the important thing for us to understand and to recognize is that the messengers that God sends, while human and while flawed, will not be deliberately living in opposition to God's will. And it is the character of the messengers which in large measure determine or show us, manifest, what is the source 
of the message. This is why it's important when you are a messenger of God to people that you do live in harmony with God's will, because otherwise you will misrepresent. Miracles are awesome, and they're great. It is, it is a blessing to receive a miracle of any sort, whether it's a flashy one or a quiet one. But miracles are not the means of determining God's people or, or the, the servants of God and the messages of God. They're not the means of, of conversion. We need to understand that both teams have supernatural power. Both teams can do things that you and I as humans, without any access to divine or to supernatural power, can't do. And everything that happens is supernatural is not automatically God's stuff. Okay? But many people are deceived that way very easily. As soon as somebody goes around and miraculously heals two or three people, then whatever that person says, the person, the other people are willing to believe. No. The Word of God outlines what can be agreed to. If somebody heals someone and then comes and says, hey, sexual immorality is not a big deal as long as you stick to church people, no. No, they can't do that. They can do it, but you can't believe that. Right? You can't believe that because the Bible tells us that if a, if a prophet comes and he prophesies that something will come to pass and it comes to pass and then he says, hey, let's go follow other gods, don't believe him. In fact, in the Old Testament, they were supposed to stone him themselves. Okay? Not asking you to stone anyone. Please don't do that. But I am saying that the Word of God outlines for us how things are supposed to work. And God will never operate outside of his word. He just won't. So no matter what you see, how flashy it is, how awesome it is, no matter what you see, God's word is the ultimate foundation for what is true and what is false. Okay? For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the more sure word of prophecy. Help us, Lord, that we will be rooted and grounded in your truth, that we will not just simply look to miracles as confirmation of who you are or who is on your side, but that we will accept your word as the basis for determining every other thing that you would have us to know. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us that we will avoid deception, that we'll trust in you. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom Podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.